Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. This is a space where we talk about what it means to awaken hope and empower change. Listen, for over a decade, Em and I have been fostering relationships with men and women who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. And it's through those relationships that Jesus Said Love was born. We figured it was time to talk about what this ministry has taught us and is still teaching us along the way. I promise it's going to be a place of conversation and story. And we hope you learn something new. Maybe you see something in a new way. Fun fact, you're going to hear music because Brett and I are musicians. Yep. We can't just talk. Nope. We got to sing and play too. We do. Here's the deal, guys. Our hope is that as you hear these stories, that you'll tap into your own story and that you'll be encouraged to live and love well like Jesus. Hey guys, welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. Once again, we are so glad that you are listening and so glad that you are joining us in this journey. What a fun journey this has been, Brett. Totally. Will you just for a minute look outside that window and just look at the greatness of Waco, Texas on this beautiful day of spring. Oh my gosh. The sun is finally shining. It is gorgeous. It's like outside. 70 degrees. If you don't live in Texas, guys, we get about like five days of this the whole year. Yeah. And we just need to soak it up. Yeah. It goes from like winter to hot, sweaty, like we're in the trenches. Hell. It's just pure so, hell. So the pits of hell. So we're so glad when we do have spring because we feel kind of like California right now. It's kind of that sunny Cali weather that feels really exciting. Well, today on the podcast, we're not just going to talk about spring. We are talking about a subject that we probably get so many questions about, which is parenting, mm. particularly how we do what we do in the midst of what we do concerning sex work and parenting. Our kids don't know what we do. What are you talking about? <laughs> Our kids have been such a part of this whole <laughs> journey. We really haven't known this work outside of the context and, and confines in some ways of parenting. Yeah. I remember um, we had those shirts, Jesus, Jesus Loves Strippers. And when you first came out with that, um, our kids couldn't read. True and that. I remember when Hattie was five, who is now 16. Yeah. But when she was five, we overheard her going, stripper? Right. What is a stripper? Phonetics. And that was our wake-up call for, okay. Like, it's time to explain. Let's talk about We've, we got what some this explaining is. The girl can read. She needs to understand what a stripper is. So she's not bouncing around school going, stripper, stripper, stripper. And everybody's like, what? Yeah. And so that really did, I mean, before then, Hattie was, and Lucy then, were completely aware that we were, um, you know, going on club outreaches mm -hmm. and, and that it was at night. And they knew when we came back and the next morning, well, how was outreach? You know, well, what did, what did y'all do last night? You know, they would talk about and ask us questions about where we were. And what we knew to say was like, oh, we're at a club. Well, what kind of club? Oh, well, we're at a dance club. And so, well, what kind of dance club? And why are you going to a dance club to tell, you know, people that God loves them? And then we had to explain, well, because um, it's a dance club where many of the women who work there um, have largely kind of been on the outskirts of society. Like mm -hmm. a lot of churches don't make space for the for women who who are at these kind of clubs. And so that kind of satisfied them for a while. 
So then when she could read the word stripper, Mm. she said, well, what's a stripper? And so immediately we begin to say, well, um, it is a woman who uh, chooses to take her clothes off. And Hattie was, I just remember, she was like, (laughs) okay. And they were like, but you said you went to dance clubs. So is she dancing with her clothes off? And it was like all these things were connecting in her little five-year-old, six-year-old brain of like, there are women who haven't had space in the church or in community who are dancing with their clothes off for money. And so when she said, why, why do they take their clothes off for, um, for people? And I said, because that's the way that they make money. And most of the women that we reach are moms. And so this is the way that they can get money for their children. And I just remember her saying, that's not right for that to be the only way that she can make money. Um, and so really that began the journey of kind of explaining and it wasn't in the context of like, these are immoral women right. who, you know, have lost their way and who, and certainly like, yes, are there addiction issues? And we began to talk about that as they, as they grew as well. But, um, well, it also wasn't, I mean, we were very, we were very realistic, right? You know, we didn't. Mm-hmm. We didn't use um, alternative names for things. No, well, because she could read. Right. First of all, <laughs> well, there was that. Yes, but second of all, I think I think one of the first ways that I remember explaining um, taking our you know taking our clothes off and um, was that when we were talking to the kids, like one of the things for the girls when they went to school is they wore skirts as part of their uniforms. And so they had to wear modesty shorts underneath and they were learning about like our private parts are private and, and things like that. And so when we talked about, um, you know, what a stripper was, we also talked about it in context of modesty, that there are places like, just like, Hey, you've got to wear, you know, your private parts are private. And when you go to school, but this is a, this is an establishment. These are actually establishments where those rules don't apply. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that, and we didn't fill in like all the blanks with the kind of this language of like, you know, because these are, are immoral. I, I mean, I just remember it being super, kind of factual, like this is a reality. There are establishments in our community where the, where the norm of, of modesty and, and that type of, you know, that just doesn't apply there. Well, it was, I mean, those discussions were super cash and I, and I think they were casual because we made space for that. Mm -hmm. We weren't, we were answering their questions Mm -hmm. honestly, Mm -hmm. but we weren't, implying any sort of shame Mm -hmm. or you can't talk about that. You know, I think, you know, our policy at our home and at our, in our, at our work is open door communication, Mm -hmm. front Front door door communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you have a question about anything, you can always come through the front door. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's, Hey, can I say the F word? I mean, you can ask that. Right. Um, and I think Gus has asked that, Uh, but I digress. Um, and so I think creating that space has been a gift 
not only to our children, but I think it's been a gift to ourselves being able to do that. You know, we don't have to hide behind any sort of subject. We can talk about it. Yeah. And I think too, that, um, the other big, the reason that I think it's so important when we're doing, when we're doing, um, ministry work or incarnational work, work that requires living among, um, First of all, because it does any anything community is is at the forefront of anything that's lasting and changing. It doesn't matter if you're a business. It doesn't matter if you're a church. It doesn't matter if you're a nonprofit. It doesn't matter. I mean, your family. This is about community building, and in order to build community, you have to have skin in the game. And so it it didn't make sense for us to just go to the clubs and come home and say, well, sorry, we can't ever, you know, engage women outside of eight to five. Mm -hmm. And, um, certainly do we have healthy boundaries and do we practice self-care and yes, no, I mean, there are those boundaries for sure that we all have to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. But this stigma that women in the sex industry lived with is for us, what we found for the women in Texas that we are reaching is that there's there's a long and large chasm between who they felt comfortable hanging out with and who um, kind of the rest of this culture that was moving along. First of all, because most of the women that we reach in the commercial sex industry are functioning in poverty. Mm-hmm. And so you're dealing with a stigma there. You're dealing with cultural norms there that were... Um, not understood by a lot of middle class or upper class um, people. And these there were issues there and, and norms that just weren't understood. And so we wanted to make it, I think, so um, just, it wasn't casual conversation necessarily that we were having with our kids. It was the fact that these realities were the realities of the people who were sitting in our living room. Mm-hmm. These realities had names to them. The fact that we were talking about these kinds of establishments, you know, for a lot of our women, they they didn't make apologies for the kind of work that they did to their kids. A lot of them didn't hide it from their kids. Now, some of them did, and that's why you can't make like stereotypes right, out of every right. every woman who's working in the industry has really had a different kind of context and relationship with her past. Did she want her kids to know? Did she not want her kids to know? What was her thought around that? And we found it really interesting that each of them had different takes on why they were doing what they were doing. And one of the first stories that I think was really cool was, um, we'll just call this woman Sheila. And Sheila, um, we knew working at a certain club in Waco and and her kids knew that she worked there. In fact, her like I think her mom would would come to the strip club and um, they would exchange, you know, the kids. It was like Sheila would go to work and then her mom would take the kids and and so it wasn't embarrassing. It was there was nothing embarrassing about Sheila working at the strip club for her to her kids. It was like this is what mom has to do. This is what mom does. But then she decided, you know what, I'm not going anywhere. And one of the biggest realities for Sheila was that she drove by, um, her boyfriend actually took her by, he was working in construction, and he said to her, I want you to go see this neighborhood where the owners of your club live. And he drove her to the construction site and showed her where the owner of the club lived. 
which was a million dollar home, huge million dollar home. And she looked at her boyfriend and she said, if that's where he lives and he's never working there and I live on government in government housing and I work there every day, long hours, if this economically is the difference, I'm not interested. And she got out. Mm. She decided she wanted out. And then when she got into our program and she began doing the access program, she would drive her kids by and say, that's where mommy goes to work now. Mm, yeah. You know, and it was just this cool, um, totally different reality. She said, I actually was never embarrassed that I worked at the club, but I just realized once there was that reality check of economically who was who was disadvantaged in this situation mm-hmm. it gave me so much dignity to come to access you know and um and so I thought that was a really cool story you know I remember our very first outreach that we ever did and I remember when we were finished we went to Chili's to kind of debrief do you remember that yeah sitting at that table and I remember for probably the first 15 minutes we didn't no one said a word. Yeah. We just all kind of looked at each other, almost shell-shocked. Right. And it was because we realized we had we had gone to a world that no one else, from, at least from the church, had ever gone to. Yeah. We had never seen any of those people mm-hmm. around town. Yeah. Um, we've never seen them in HEB. Though they go to HEB, we just didn't see them. Yes. And... It was almost like we've discovered a sub-civilization in yeah. our own city. Not sub as in lower than, just no. sub as in completely cut off right. from everyone else. That's yeah. what it felt. Well, and again, I, I would say some of that chasm is the chasm of poverty. Yes. There are just different realities. I mean, we learned that you know, it, it was acceptable for some of our, you know, moms to be putting Dr. Pepper or Big Red in bottles. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't that. I mean, we would gasp, you know, some of our volunteers who didn't come from an impoverished background, you know, middle-class like upbringing, you know, would, and it was like, what did you know? Oh my gosh, you can't do it. And that was norm for, for what they did. And, and so now, not everyone. We have other women um, who I can think of as moms who, you know, only like one of the moms yesterday it was in our home. She was like, I do not give my kids candy. And, you know, here comes <laughs> Gus, like, you know, eating candy, you yeah. know, right out of his room. And I was like, can, can so-and-so have this? And she's like, oh, no, I don't give my kids candy. I'm like, ever? She's like, mm, no. Do you see how pretty their teeth are? No, my kids don't have cavities. I don't give my kids candy. Mm. So we learn. There's like, there's such a beautiful exchange yeah. between doing life among other moms, especially single working moms who are just stud, resilient yeah. warriors for their kids who love their kids. Well, you know? I think the the incarnational component of that also uh, it closes the gap. It yeah. closes that chasm. So whereas sitting there at Chili's 15, almost 16 years ago now, and thinking we had just went to a subculture. Now, those are my people. Totally. That's my family. Yeah. I don't feel weird ever. No. Um, they don't feel weird. Yeah. It, it's like, yeah. we're, it's again, I say it all the time. It's not us and them. Yes. We're all just us. Totally. 
And I want to make this this awareness, this just comes to me over and over and over again. If our faith is to be the faith of a child, right? And so that is the, that's like, we are children of God and God says, have, you know, faith like a child. Well, childlike faith and a childlike love is a curious love. Mm -hmm. It's a love that is curious, that is full of wonder, that is full of question, that doesn't apologize for asking questions. It doesn't ever feel bad because there's no, they're learning, right? And so if love is curious and if our faith is to be that of a child, then we've got to question a lot. We've got to embrace the question. And it is always a sign of love to me when people ask questions. And so I have to give myself permission to ask those same questions of, mm-hmm. of those that we work with who have a different upbringing, who have a life experience. Like, it's not bad for me to ask, oh, I didn't know, you know, putting big red in a soda bottle or putting soda in a bottle, um, did is that normal? Like, do you do that? How many times a day do you do that? Like, is that, you know, and just to get curious mm-hmm. about the workings of their lifestyle. If you don't know it, ask. Right. There's nothing wrong with it. Right. You know? And we're asking questions now from our Instagram audience on the podcast today. Are there today. people on there? There are people and on there. And they're asking questions? Yeah. So we want to say hey to those joining us on the Jesus Said Love podcast. If you've got questions about sex work and parenting, we want to hear. So you can pop on and you, know, you can just, ask just us right your, now. Just your everyday topics, sex work and parenting. And why not? <laughs> so another story I want us to tell is the story of when Dixie was still here with us. Um And this would have been when Lucy, our middle daughter, was probably six years old. And Dixie had a daughter um, who was also around the same age. And we had invited Dixie and her kids to come over. I don't know. We were... They were just over at the house, and Dixie and I were talking about things. And tell that, tell that story, Uh, how you remember it. I just, I love this story because... I just love Dixie. I know. And just... I miss her. I miss her too, yeah. And her beautiful children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she had worked so hard Mm -hmm. um, to make changes in her life. And so they were at the house and we were all sitting in the living room. And I vividly remember she was wearing uh, cut-off jean shorts Mm -hmm. and sitting in that chair in the corner. And Mm -hmm. we were laughing and cutting up and stuff. And um, the girls, our girl, yeah. our girl and, and Dixie's daughter had gone into their bedroom, yeah. the girl's bedroom. And they were back there playing, having a good time. And next thing we know, it's getting time for, for them to leave. And we see Lucy come out with a garbage bag <laughs> of something. Right. We didn't know what. <laughs> no. There She's dragging it. She's pulling it down the hall into the entryway of the house. And um, then she hands it off to Dixie's daughter. Yeah. And, um we were like, okay, well, we, we've really tried to teach our kids to be generous. And yeah. I wonder what she gave away. And so they <laughs> carry the bag and off they go. And we shut the door and, and you turned to Lucy and you said, hey, so what was what was in that bag? Yeah. And she said, "Those well, those were shoes. They were my favorite shoes. And instantly I was like, wait, you gave away all your favorite shoes? Okay. Yeah. Um, and she goes, yeah. She goes, you know, Dixie's daughter liked my shoes. And she said she liked, she goes, you know, mom, how I like, how I like shoes and how I'm always asking if I can get some fun shoes when we go out. She goes, well, she likes shoes as much as I do, you know? And Lucy was like, so I decided I was going to give her my favorite shoes because she really liked them. And so she 
did it. So she did it. So, I mean, she cleaned house. She cleaned house. (laughs) And I thought, okay, we're going to have to go buy some new shoes now. Okay. I didn't expect that. But just that spirit of generosity. Totally. That we didn't. We didn't sit down and talk about generosity. Here's no. how you do generosity. Right. She just watched. Yeah. And she watched us give people things. Yeah. When they would come over and, you know, you would hand someone a clothes that, you know, you had or whatever. Or, you know, we'd pack up bags and mm-hmm. leave on the front porch for Salvation Army or take stuff to Mission Waco or whatever. They saw that. Mm-hmm. They watched it. And so in her mind, it was, oh, she likes shoes. I like shoes. I have a lot of shoes. Have some shoes. Yeah. And it wasn't even like, I don't remember it being like, I need shoes. Like Dixie's daughter had shoes. Right. It, it wasn't sparkly like. Sparkly shoes. I remember. She sparkly. did. She had sparkly shoes. And um, and it, so it wasn't like, I feel sorry for you. Right. There mm-hmm. was a mutuality there. There was a mutuality of like, oh, I like this. She likes it too. Wouldn't it be fun if I gave her the, the things that I like? Because it, it would bring her joy. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't like I pity you. And right. I think that's just another thing that's so beautiful about childlike faith. It's like there is generosity there when, you know, children get to experience and participate in kingdom generosity. Um, but not from a position of handout. You right. know, it's not. Well, she gave her her favorite. Well, she wasn't like, I'll give her the ones with holes in it. Let's give them the one that, you know, because they don't have anything and this is better than something. Right. What is that model? That's not cool. Yeah. Or, you know, if we're at the red light and there's a homeless person with a sign. Yeah. And what do we do? We roll the window down and we give him what we have. Yeah. And, you know, Gus is like, Dad, why'd you give that man money? I said, because he's hungry. He needs some money. I had some money. He needs money. Let's give him our money. Well, and we have different philosophies on this. So this is where we can talk about the parenting. Oh, I I know. I won't give... I won't give homeless um, money. I don't. I don't think that. I mean, unless it's like Holy Spirit comes and I hits know, me. You got to listen to that voice inside. That may be for another podcast. Yeah, but I think it's it's empowering. I think handing out um, things like you know care packages or bottles of water or keeping extra things in your car can be helpful and can be empowering. But um, but yeah. That may be where we differ as parents, too. I think, I'm thinking of it right now. A friend of ours uses, he, he said, God made us to not be reservoirs, right? but to be rivers. Yes. And we have to be rivers with our stuff. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, he gives it to us. It flows through us yeah. to someone else. I think one of the other beautiful things about what we've learned in working with women in the sex industry and parenting is that we have learned so much from them as moms and as parents, it's actually one of the greatest connection points that we have because it's most of the women that we reach are moms. Um, And moms love to talk about their kids. And we like to talk about things to do with our kids or free events going on in our community or ways that we can um, keep our kids entertained or like, hey, summer's coming, like school's not going to be here. What y'all going to do with your kids? You know, And And it's a thousand degrees outside. Oh my gosh, it gets so hot in the summer. And so um, they've been like such an incredible resource for us to and, and us to them that it's just a commonality, right? Um, but I think another thing that that we've learned is that, speaking of generosity, I don't know that that I've ever met a group of women who have been more generous to me, to the needs of community. If, if, if there's a need in a club, 
if there's a need of one of the women, if someone dies, if someone's in an accident, if someone they're raising money for it. Yep. I mean, they are got funeral expenses. Let's go. What can we do? Let's make some barbecue plates. Like let's let's get the community our community involved. And they're networkers, mm-hmm. you know, and they use that power for good. And they've just taught me so, so much about what community and what family means. Um, and for so many of us, our families of origin, you know, may not have been the safest places for us to be our beloved for our full selves. And so there's this need in us to, to be generous, to be safe, um, to have the freedom to express and, and have ideas and, um, and just to share with one another in a really communal and a really safe way. So I've actually just been so just encouraged by the generosity um, of parenting um, within our women. Yeah. You know, I learned, I learned so much. We also do parenting classes as part of our access program. And I will say that is one of the best, and it's also one of the most challenging. Um, I think for any of us parenting, who any of us who have kids, parenting is just vulnerable work. Parenting is hard work, and it's vulnerable because we see ourselves and our kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. We see our pitfalls. We see our mistakes. We see, yeah, it's almost like... They oh, expose how selfish we still are. Totally. Yeah. The narcissism. Oh, man. The, yeah, the blaming, the unhealthy coping. Um, and I love, I think Brene Brown has said before, like you know, parenting can't be so personal all the time. Like when your kid smarts off, when you're, when your kid does something bad, like that's, you can't take that personally. And I, I didn't necessarily see that modeled. I I mean, I don't, I don't think I see it modeled really healthily in a lot of spaces because I think for a lot of us, especially those of us, if you're coming from a Christian background or a Southern background, it's like you represent the family. It's like you, your kid walks out the door and it's almost like your kid is supposed to be an advertisement for the parents. Which is silly. But how true is it? I mean, they're all independent humans. Right. And if my kid acts a fool, that doesn't mean I'm a bad parent. Right. That doesn't mean I'm a bad person. Right. That means my kid's just acting a fool in that moment. Yeah. And, and I'm going to address it appropriately, mm-hmm. I, I hope at least. But to, for our, to, I guess to put that responsibility on their shoulders, I think, is a bit much. And I think yeah. once they get into the older ages, mm-hmm. that's where some resentment and kind of craziness can kind of filter in. If right. We're, if we're placing that on... Yeah, seven year old. Right. Then they don't really get to be their full selves. And I think one of the most incredible things to watch is like, I think it can also be damaging, you know, psychologically to tell your kid, oh, you're just like your father or you're just like your mother and or, you know, you're just like your aunt so and so. And and the truth is they are there. Yes. Do we inform those things like, yes. Do they have the markings of the way I'm wired and the way their dad's wired and the way our family? Sure. But they're their own person. Yeah. Like they get to grow and explore. And the more freedom we give them to become their full selves, like how beautiful is that to watch, you know, where you actually as the parent, there's the other thing is like, you know, the child shall lead you. 
I mean, the kingdom model is that your kids get to lead you into deeper faith. Your kids get to be a part of, of, of leading you. And I'm not saying like, there's not obviously, you know, authority or, you know, some disciplinary, like, I'm not, I'm not saying like, oh, hands off, like you can't discipline at all. But what I'm saying is like, it is such a freedom as a parent and it is so freeing for the child to not have to feel like they are a walking billboard for your last name. Or that they're being totally micromanaged by you. Yeah. You know, I think our kids are all unique. Right. And they don't necessarily think about things in the way that we do. Yeah. Um, you know, we allow them in that space to have your, what is your thought on this? Right. What do you think about? Totally. I think those are some of the funnest conversations around the dinner table. Ah, just hearing them. What do you think about the sex industry? Yeah. Lucy, you're in eighth grade. Right. Um, what, what, are, what are your friends say yes. about what your parents do? Oh my gosh. And they are like keys to the culture. Holy moly. It's so good to I mean, hear their input. What's it like to be the kid who have parents who work with people in the sex industry? Yeah. Oh, that's a thing. Totally. And it's just, yeah. And, and, and to hear the way they articulate it. Yeah. I know last night Hattie was actually applying for um, a college, which is just crazy. She was doing like an intake for college application. Was I'm it, not okay with this. It was a college in California. And, um, and so she's kind of interested in this one. And, and so it's like, um, you know, to, it was asking like what your parents do for a living. And she was like, uh, mom, like, what do you do? Like, what do I call you? <laughs> like, what are you? And I was like, okay, well, I'm the founder and chief ideation officer of Jesus of love and lovely enterprises. And, and then, um, and then she goes, oh yeah. Okay. So, so that's your title. But then it got to what is Jesus said love. And so she typed that in on her own and then she read it to me and she goes, Hey mom, I put this for Jesus said love. Is this okay? That Jesus said love is a ministry that awakens hope and empowers change to those who've been impacted by the commercial sex industry. Oh, she went to the website. No, <laughs> no. And, um, and so first she just said women and I said, well, it's actually people cause we're impacting women and men now, Hattie. And, and so, um, she was just like, she got it, you know, yeah. like she didn't know what I did, but she knew what Jesus said love did, Yeah, you know? And I just thought that that's so great when you watch, um, yeah, your kids, understand the work of, of what you're doing in the world. It's really incredible. Well, I still, uh, that takes me back as you're saying that I'm having a memory of one of our first bag assemblies. Yeah. Oh, and Hattie yes. was what? Four, oh, three, my gosh. She had the little munchkin voice. three or four. And she's just walking down the table, I know. buffet aisle, yeah. putting stuff in the bags. And <laughs> she's on the video, just this little tiny girl and she's putting together bags that are going to go to strip clubs. Right. Well, she doesn't know that part yet. She right. hadn't read. She didn't know any of that piece. She just knows that these are gifts that are going to go yeah. to people who are going to enjoy them. Yeah. And it was, that's all she's ever known. And I do remember that one night as she was stuffing bags for club outreach that she was so excited about these Care Bear stickers. Like she just kept, she was, she was kind of really liked them. She was like, <laughs> hey mom, can I have some of these stickers? And I was like, no, these are, these are going to be for the women that, you know, we, and she was like, but these Care Bear stickers are like really awesome. Like I love Care Bears. And so I said, well, I bet, you know, somebody's going to really 
like them, like, you know, whatever bag you put them in. And so she went around, she was like, oh, okay. So I can pick the bag that it goes in. And I was like, yeah. And so she put together this bag with these Care Bear stickers that she was very intentional about. And it was so cool because it was an Easter outreach. Mm -hmm. And when we got there, there was a woman who did not want anything to do with us. She Mm. was very cold. She was very skeptical naturally about why we were there, what we were doing. It was Easter. She was like, I ain't even a Christian. I don't care about, you know, Good Friday or whatever. And so she's over in the corner. She's not talking to us, but she opened the bag and the Care Bear stickers came out. And she she goes, I got Care Bear stickers. And we were like, yeah. And I said, actually, my daughter was kind of wanted them, but I told her, pack these for somebody special because somebody I'm sure might like Care Bears. And she goes, my daughter is so obsessed with Care Bears and I cannot wait. I don't have anything for her Easter basket. I can't wait to put these in it this weekend. Well, would you look at that coincidence? Right. It was just coincidence. You know, God didn't do things like that. No, (laughs) especially not through children. Right. So it just, all those ways, like I, I just think as parents, you know, every chance that we can get to make our kids a part of the work that we're doing for the gospel and the goodness and the truth and the light of Christ, all the all the things that we can have them involved to, yes, do we need to shepherd appropriately? And, and she- protection is absolutely part of shepherding. Um, boundaries are helpful. But um, as far as sheltering them from injustices of the world, it's doing a disservice to yeah. our children to not see the reality because those are the realities that the gospel intersects. It's the exact purpose of Christ in the world, of Christ in culture, of the relevancy of God to be integrated and informed and apart and to have faces and names and places and smells that are forever locked in their brain with the goodness of God. It's like this mashup between these um, suffering moments with beauty overlaid, and they get to forever remember that, yeah. you know? You know, since we've um, started working on the demand side yeah. and Stop Demand School particularly, um, have made for some interesting conversations with... That's true. Particularly the older two, because yeah. they're older now. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when we first started, they were babies, and now they're... Like, well, how Teenagers, you 16. yeah. She's 16. Yeah. I can't still awkward to say. <laughs> But to be able to talk about, you know, when I have a class and I come home and that class totally wipes me out for right. the evening, but they know that yeah. and they want to ask questions about it. Yeah. And so we talk about, they're like, what do you talk about? We talk about STDs. Mm-hmm. Well, what's an STD? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, it's a sexually transmitted disease. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've talked about that in mm-hmm. science. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we talk about human trafficking mm-hmm. or we talk about... Complex trauma in the brain, right? Or the harmful effects of porn. Right. I mean, we can talk openly with our children, totally, about porn. Why yeah. the average age of viewership of porn is now nine, right? So if you're not talking about what is porn by the time your Preach. kid's nine, you you need to you need to yeah. You don't need to shelter because they're going to find it yeah. And if you don't shepherd it yeah, and not shame, I'm no. not talking shame. No, don't no. don't dare shame them yeah. But if you don't shepherd that, you're going to set them up um, for for a journey that maybe they don't need. They yeah, potentially don't need to go on. Well, yeah, and it's well, it's 
it's physiological, right? Like our brains, you can't unsee. Sure. You know, and we, at, you know at that what point. do we do? We hand them, we hand them these machines that right. give them the access to the world. Right. And I don't care whatever kind of filter you want to put on that iPad. There are ways around this, and the people yeah. who produce this stuff. Yeah. are smart and get around it because they know if they can get you addicted, yeah. then we got you. You know, one of the things I was just reading an article and I'll try to find the article so that I can up, upload it onto our um, podcast blog. Cause if I mention this, I want to be able to give credit to it, but the research was showing, um, the article was showing that actually what is causing some of the greatest chasms between the, the upper class and the poor is technology and not in the way that you would think. They were saying that that the poor often are just babysat, kind of like TV back in the back in the days. But they're babysat by these electronic devices, and so their brain is not fully engaged. Whereas middle to upper class folks are going, "Hey, we're going to get our kids in a private school where it's a smaller class side, no technology. They're going to actually look at paper books. They're going to learn to write in cursive. They're not just going to type on a keypad." And so there's this movement among the educated and among the up middle to upper class educated who are moving away from tech addiction, but the poor have more access to YouTube, phone sharing, streaming, all these devices, and it's actually creating more of a chasm than we ever thought. And I just thought that is something that's so interesting to me as we look at our relationship um, with culture, with technology, with parenting, with the sex industry. Um, You know, what are we, what are we actually asking of our kids? What are we really ending up um, limiting their brain capacity for human wiring and human empathy and human connection? You know, what's, What's the payoff there in supplying school districts with all technology-based learning instead of human contact and human eye contact and interaction? Um, and I realize as I'm even saying this, hello, we're on Instagram, like as we're podcasting. That's so true. we know it's not about an either or, yeah, right? it's not a bad thing. It's, it's just it's... shepherding. Yeah, it's shepherding these um, moments and these ways that really the sex industry is promoted. You know, you might be sitting here thinking, okay, Brett and Emily, you guys work in the sex industry. We understand that you probably need to talk about these things with your kids, given that's what you do. And, you know, it's very integrated in your home. But I am a lawyer and I'm a doctor or I'm a school teacher and my kid is never around that. Mm. And so therefore I don't need to talk about necessarily the way that you guys do or, or at all. And what I would simply say is the sex industry is not simply in the strip club. Oh, yes. It is in music. 100%. It is on TV. Yeah. It is in marketing. Yeah. It is everywhere you look. I mean, Gus, just the other day, is singing this song he loves. (laughs) Right. And one of the lines is, you can hit it in the morning. (sighs) And so he's in the back seat singing that, and I just... Whoa, 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 whoa. Right. What did you say? Right. And he said, well, I just, you know, I'm doing that song. I don't want to name what it is, but if you heard me sing it, you know what it is. But um, so we got to, we had an opportunity to talk about what totally. that phrase means. Totally. Instead of just saying, don't ever say that again. Right. It was, hey, buddy, do you know what that phrase means? Well, no. Are they, are they punching each other? Yeah. And it was, a, it was an opportunity to be age appropriate. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, granted, the so kids... like, what did you say? Did you say the sex word like to Gus? Did you say like, well, actually, that's like um, a euphemism for? I didn't use the word sex. euphemism <laughs> because I think I would have lost him at youth. Well, did you? Did you say? Sorry, did you say? <laughs> You know, set like no. No, here's what I said. This is talking about sex. I, here's what I said. He goes, "What's wrong with it, Dad?" And I said, "Well, it's actually a slang term, mm-hmm. and, and it's it's an inappropriate." And then, and he he said, "How is it inappropriate?" I love his questions, mm. and I love that he's always so curious. Mm-hmm. He said, "How is it inappropriate?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "It's sexually inappropriate." Okay. And he yeah. got real quiet. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Do you have any questions?" He goes, "No, I think." Yeah, I know what you're. I know what you're saying now. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean, Dad. Mm-hmm. He goes, but I still like it, and it's still kind of catchy. Mm-hmm. I said, I understand that, but if you get <laughs> caught at school singing that, Mrs. Tucker's probably not going to be as generous. Yeah. You know? and I think there's some things that like you could go overboard, right? Totally. I mean, there's some things that it's like a movie that you know it's it's like they're five or six years old and it's going way over their heads but for Gus as a nine-year-old boy who is going to be within the next few years entering puberty and and really starting to notice sexual things more we have to be ready right to and they're getting these issues so so much earlier. I mean, well, they're seeing the advertisements. We're, we're about to have to have the talk. We haven't had the talk yet. I'll just be honest. So you're like, yeah. well, I had the talk at seven. Well, we haven't had the talk yet. Okay, yeah. we'll get to the talk. It's coming. But some of you don't even know what "hit it in the morning" means. Right. Yeah. And so, and I will tell you right now, it's slang for sex. Yeah. So that's morning, it. Morning sex. Morning sex. Yeah. I should say. Anytime you hit it, that's sex, people. Yeah. So how do you communicate that right. to your kids in an appropriate way? And I think you have to do that. Otherwise, they're going to be ahead of you right. on pop culture. Yeah. And you're not, they're going to talk about phrases and things that you have no idea about. Yeah. And if you're not in the game, you're going to miss it. Yeah. You got to get in the game. And this is the other thing is that we were having brunch actually just today before we came here. We were having a birthday brunch with one of our Access graduates. And we were talking about music and what kind of music she likes. And um, she actually likes rock, but her kids like rap. And so she was talking. She was like, I, there are things that are played on the radio that say clean. You know that they're 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 not quote explicit, but they're totally vulgar. Oh yeah. And so even even she as and she even said even when I danced in the clubs there were songs that I had boundaries on. I was like I will not dance to some of these and and so that was really interesting to me mm-hmm. too to learn like what she wants her children. She has three boys, three beautiful boys. And um, so even what she was wanting to make sure that that they were learning about sexuality and how they believed their treatment of women, how she, you know, what kind of rap they were listening to. And just because something says it's clean or not explicit does not mean it's not objectifying or sure. exploiting women or how in it some even, way. how it even speaks about women. It doesn't have to right. speak about sex. It's how yeah. am I treating, how am I speaking about a woman? Right. Yeah, and it it becomes um, it becomes an ongoing conversation as culture changes. We as parents feel like we have to have a key on um, and an ear to the ground and eyes on really what culture is saying and what culture is doing in terms of sexuality and um, and really just not shaming. I will say just as we kind of turn toward the end of this podcast, which may be part two coming up in parenting and, and sex work, is that. Um, it's super important for us as we talk about empowering women. Um, I've had so many conversations with 
with my girls as their bodies are growing and changing. And it is so important that we have a, um, a sex positive approach and a body positive approach to what sexuality is that we don't believe sex is shameful. We don't believe that having sex is bad, um, that, that we don't believe our bodies are bad and that even our private parts, which we do believe are private and to be guarded and stewarded and safe, they're not bad. Like my boobs and my vagina are not bad, right? Your penis is not bad. Yes, I'm saying those words. This is a conversation about parenting and sex. And if you're not using proper terms, then you're setting your kids up to to really fail and to really struggle. If you're not using correct terminology, we may have to have like Sue Battles on here or someone who can really talk... to us about why body positivity and why sex positivity is so important. And you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I would say that I think oftentimes we we say those other words or those cutesy mm-hmm. words for our own selves. Oh. It's for our own security. Yeah. You know, yeah. did you hurt your pee-pee? Yeah. Well, that's to make me feel better. <laughs> right. So I don't feel... No, it's a penis. It's a penis. Right. It's just a penis. Well, there's just been, you know, generationally, there's just been so much taboo that we can't talk about. But but look at, I mean, look at where we are. I don't know. Right? And so then we have to go watch porn. Mm -hmm. Men feel like that's where they have to, because they can't talk about what brings them pleasure. They can't talk about those things. And so that's a whole other podcast. But what I will say as a parent is that sex is an open topic at our house that your bot that our bodies aren't shamed while we do obviously embrace um, appropriate modesty um, that any questions that our girls have about their bodies and I mean swimsuit shopping is coming up for crying out loud you know God we could have a you. whole we could have a whole thing on just where that's kind of going in terms of even the church's relationship to oh, what modesty is. Girl, don't get me started on ah, this nonsense. One piece so, cover up stuff. <laughs> it's like shame the girls because you know, but let the guys roll around with their abs out, you know, because surely girls don't lust. Right. Mm, sounds like we have maybe a part two coming up. Our outro music is coming on, and that means we're out of time. But we want to thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for joining the Jesus Said Love podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to awaken hope and empower change with us. We want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. Yes. Because your voice matters. It's how we get this message into the world. And lastly, be sure to follow Jesus Said Love on Instagram and Facebook for up-to-date info. And visit the website at JesusSaidLove.com for how you can join the JSL fam. Until next time. Share the love.